Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Please visit www.audiblepodcast.com castle for your free audiobook download. Podcastle, number 22, for August 26, 2008. Dead Girl's Wedding March by Cat Rambo. Welcome to Podcastle. I'm Ann Leckie. One of my clearest memories from when I was small is going into the lab with my mother on a Saturday. It was her weekend to take care of the rats, and the thing that impressed me was that my mom fed them out of a great big bag of Purina rat chow. That struck me as tremendously funny and strange. Even at that young age, I knew that rats weren't animals you wanted to feed. Rats ate garbage. They were vermin. They were dirty and disgusting. When something suspicious is going on, you smell a rat. When you want to swear but you're not in suitable company, you say, rats! And I knew they were dangerous. I'd heard it said many times that you never wanted to corner one. A few years later, my history teacher would tell me that rats were responsible for bringing the Black Plague to Europe. And about the same time, I'd find a pulp novel in a discount bin called The Coming of the Rats that detailed the collapse of civilization in the face of, you guessed it, an invasion of vicious and super-smart rodents. So the whole idea of a pet food company making rat chow was inherently ridiculous, even to a five-year-old. Of course, the rats I saw that day were clean and white, and they were furry and pink-eyed. They certainly weren't carrying any diseases, and they didn't eat garbage. They were the sort of animal you'd keep as a pet, and some people do keep rats as pets. They're cute and smart, comparatively speaking, but mostly people think badly of rats. Not all people, though. In some places, rats are a regular source of food. In India, there's a temple where rats are allowed to roam free, and they're fed. It's said that the rats are the reincarnated souls of worshippers of the goddess Karnimata, whose temple it is, and they'll eventually be reincarnated as human beings. I'm not sure I'd want to live next door to it, but the temple website claims that they don't leave the temple grounds and wander the neighborhood, and I suppose the rats don't have any reason to when there are bowls of milk and trays of food freely available in the temple itself. Rats are smart, and they're likely smart enough to know a good thing when they see it. Today's story is The Dead Girl's Wedding March by Cat Rambo. Cat Rambo is a graduate of Clarion West, and you can find her fiction in places like Strange Horizons and Asimov's. One of her stories, in fact, was recently featured on Escape Pod. Her collection, a collaboration with Jeff Vandermeer, The Surgeon's Tale and Other Stories, is available through Amazon.com. And you can find out more about her at www.kittywumpus.net, and she blogs at catrambo.livejournal.com. The Dead Girl's Wedding March first appeared in Fantasy Magazine in December of 2006, and it's read by Podcastle's chief editor, Rachel Swirsky. The Dead Girl's Wedding March by Cat Rambo Once upon a time, a dead girl lived with the other zombies in the caverns below the port of Tabat, in the city beneath that seaside town the city that has no name. Thousands of years ago, the wizard Suleiman plunged the city, buildings and all, into the depths of the earth and removed its name over some slight that no one but his ghost remembers. Their life continues. 
Some dead folk surrender to slumber, feeling there's no point pretending an agenda for each day. A few, though, pace out their days in the way they once paced out their lives. The only actual living things in the City of the Dead are the sleek, silver-furred rats that slip through its streets like reversed shadows. On a day there like any other day, a rat addressed the dead girl. Her name was Zuleika, and she was dark-haired, dark-eyed, and smelled only faintly of the grave, because every evening she bathed in the river that flowed silently beneath her window. Marry me, the rat said. It stood upright on its back legs, its tail curled neatly around its feet. She was pretending to eat breakfast. A pot steamed on her table. She poured herself a deliberate cup of chocolate, before speaking. Why should I marry you? The rat eyed her. To be sure, it admitted. There's more in it for me than for you. Having a bride of your stature would increase mine, so to speak. It chuckled, smoothing its whiskers with a paw. I fear I must decline, she said, leaving the rat to console itself with muffins. She went into the parlor where her father sat reading the same paper he read every morning, its pages black rectangles. I have had a marriage proposal, she told him. He folded his paper and set it down, frowning. From whom? A rat, just now, at breakfast. What does he expect? A dowry of cheese? She remembered not liking her father very much when he was alive. I told him no, she said. He reached for his paper again. Of course you did. You've never been in love, and never will be. There is no change in this city. Indeed, it would be the destruction of us all. Shut the door when you go out. She went shopping carrying a basket woven from white reeds that line the river's banks. Passing through a clutter of stalls, she fingered fabrics lying in drifts, sleepy soft velvet, watery charmeuse, suede's as tender as a mouse's ear, all in shades of black and gray, whites lying among them like discarded moonlight. The rat sat on the table's edge. I can provide well for you, it said, fish guts from the docks of Tabat and spoiled meat from its alleyways. I would bring you the orchard's gleanings, squishy apricot and rotted peaches, apples brown as bone and flat as the withered breasts of a crone. I would bring you bits of ripe leather from the tannery, soaked in a soup of pigeon shit and water until it's soft as flesh. Why me? she asked. Have I given you any reason to suspect I would accept your advances? It stroked its whiskers in embarrassment. No, it admitted. I witnessed you bathing in the river and saw the touch of iridescence that gilds your limbs like plump white cheeses floating in the water. I felt desire so strong that I 
pissed myself as though my bones had turned to liquid and were flowing out of me. I must have you for my wife. She looked around at the market she had visited each third day for as long as she had been dead. At the tables of wares that never changed but only endlessly rearranged their elements. Then back at the rat. You may walk with me, she said. The rat hopped into the basket, and they strolled along in silence. At length he began to speak. He told her of the rats of the city without a name, who have lived so long, so close to magic, that it has seeped into their skin, their eyes, and down into their very guts. How they have seen their civilizations rise and fall over the centuries. Their sorcerers and magicians have learned cunning magics, only to see them torn away each time they redescended into savagery. How the white-furred rat matrons ruled their current society, sending their swains out to gather them food, eating more and more in order to gain greater and greater social weight. That is what first drew me to this idea, he said. A human bride would have more weight than any of them. But when I saw you, it seemed a meaningless and stale calculation. She felt a thrill of warmth somewhere in her chest. Upon reflection, she realized it was an emotion she had not felt before she died. It was part interest and part intrigue and part vanity and part something else, a twinge of affection for this rat that promised to make her his world. There is no question, her father said, this would bring change to the city. And, and, do you wish to destroy this place? We are held by the wizard's spell, fixed in a moment when dying because we cannot change, we do not die because we cannot change. Zuleika frowned. That makes no sense. That's because you are young. You have only forty years more than my own five thousand three hundred and twelve. Surely, when one considers the years I have lived, I can be reckoned an adult. You would think so, if you overlooked the fact that you will always be fifteen. She stamped her foot and pouted. But centuries can jade even the most indulgent father. He sent for a physician. The physician came with eager steps, for new cases were few and far between. He insisted on examining Zuleika from head to toe, and would have had her disrobe, save for her father's protest. She seems well enough to me, the physician said, in a disappointed tone. She believes she wishes to marry. Tut, tut, the physician said, in astonishment. Well, now. Love, and you wish this cured? Before the contagion spreads further, or drives her to actions imperiling us all? Zuleika said nothing. She was well aware she was not in love with the rat. But the idea of change had seized her like a fever. The physician overlaid her scalp with a netting of silver wire. 
Magnets hung like awkward beads amid crystals of midnight onyx and grey feldspar. It is a subtle stimulation, he murmured, and certainly love is not a subtle energy, but given sufficient time, it will work. He directed that Zuleika sit in a chair in the parlour without disturbing the netting for three days. The days passed, slowly. Zuleika kept her eyes fixed on the window which framed a cloudless, sunless, skyless world. She could feel the magnetic energies pulling her thoughts this way and that, but it seemed to her things remained much the same overall. On the third day, the rat appeared. "'My beautiful fiancé, it said, gazing at where she sat. "'What is that thing you wear?' "'It is a mechanism to remove love.' she said. Its whiskers perked forward, and it looked pleased. So, you are in love? No, she said, but my father believes I am. Humph, said the rat. Tell me, what is the effect of such a mechanism, if you are not in love? I don't know. It considered, absently flicking its tail. Perhaps it will have the opposite effect, it said. I have been thinking about that myself, she said. Indeed, I feel fonder toward you with every passing moment. How much longer must you wear it? Her eyes sought the clock. Another hour. Then we must wait and see. The rat sniffed the air. Did your family have muffins again this morning? I've been sitting here for three days. I didn't have breakfast. Then I shall be back within a half hour or so, it said, and withdrew. At the hour the door opened and her father and the physician entered. The rat, licking its chops, discreetly moved beneath her chair, where, hidden by her skirts, it could not be seen. Well, my daughter, her father said, patting her on the back as the physician removed the apparatus, do you feel restored? Indeed I do, she said. Good. He clasped the physician's shoulder, looking pleased. Good work, man. Shall we retire to discuss your fee? The physician looked at Zuleika. Perhaps another examination, he ventured. No need, said her father briskly. Love removed, everything's fixed. Our city can continue on as it has for the past millennium. When they had gone, the rat crept out from beneath her chair regarding her. Well, it said, I do not wish to be married down here. We can make our way to the surface and say our vows in Tabat, the rat said. I know all the tunnels and where they wind to. And so she took a lantern from where it hung in the garden, shedding its dim light over the pale vegetation, nourished there by sorcery rather than sunlight. They made their way to the first tunnel entrance, the rat riding on her shoulder, and started toward the surface. Behind them there came a massive crash and crack. What was that? the rat said. Nothing, said Zuleika. Nothing at all. Anymore. She marched on, and behind her, the city with no name, continued to fall.
A lot of commenters said that episode number 20, Tim Pratt's Cup and Table about the quest for the Holy Grail, was their new favorite podcastle. On the blog, Max Saul said, This was my favorite podcastle episode by far. Up until now, the episodes have been remarkably consistent, and I've really enjoyed many of them. But this one just blew me away. The characters were amazing, the superpowers were entirely original, and the ending made my jaw drop. Frankly, there are not enough superlatives and cliches to throw at this luminescent gem of a story. He wasn't alone. On the board, DKT said, This story knocked me out from the first line to the last. It felt gritty yet whimsical, and despite not really liking who any of the characters were, I loved them. Incredible writing. I can't wait to listen to it again. Roni called it amazing stuff and continued, Excellent characters, driving plots, some wonderful lines, the end of the world, and the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. I don't think I could ask for more. Only Sixtu, who posted to the blog, was unremittingly negative, writing, I seem to be in a minority with my thoughts about cup and table, but I found this to be an incredibly hackneyed, cliched, and poorly rendered story. It was offensive in its lack of craft or originality. In short, it sucked. Please tell me this was an anomaly, and you will continue to exercise the discriminating editorial powers you have in the past. For myself, I have to admit I was a bit surprised by a couple of comments implying that the story was science fiction or perhaps science fantasy. It's true the border areas between the two genres can be extremely hard to nail down, but Cup and Table struck me as pretty unambiguously fantasy. If you've got comments on this or any other episode, come join us at forum.escapeartist.info. We'd love to have you. Whether you loved or hated today's story, we hope you'll keep checking out more audio fiction. Audible.com is the Internet's leading provider of spoken audio entertainment, providing digital versions of tens of thousands of audiobooks that you can download to your personal computer or MP3 player. Listen any when, anywhere. Audible has over 40,000 titles representing every genre, including 1,000 science and technology books and 1,100 science fiction and fantasy titles. Audible has been kind enough to offer a free audiobook to PodCastle listeners who sign up at audiblepodcast.com slash castle today. If I were to pick up something from Audible today, I'd grab Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency by Douglas Adams. I've watched the movie versions of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but I've never heard Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency read out loud before. Again, that website is audiblepodcast.com slash castle. Sign up and get your free audiobook today. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of Podcastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartists.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. The novelist Elizabeth Bowen said, Fate is not an eagle. It creeps like a rat. <laughs>